Welcome to the SEMRC Lead Podcast, featuring epic supply chain lessons from our industry partners. I am your host, Donnie Williams, Executive Director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center and Clinical Assistant Professor of Supply Chain Management at the University of Arkansas Walton College of Business. I'm excited today to be joined by Catherine Fair. Catherine is the Head of Customer Supply Chain for Unilever. And I've known Catherine for a little over a year now, and just she's been in my classes and, and talked to my leadership students. and and, you know, we part together on different things. And Catherine, it's just such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Why don't you invite, uh, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do for Unilever. And I'd love to hear how you ended up in supply chain. Great. Thanks, Donnie. Uh, really happy to be here today. So thank you for having me. Um, so, um, as Donnie mentioned, um, I work for Unilever. Um, I am the head of the customer supply chain and my, my journey, um, to this particular role, um, is probably a bit unique. Um, my educational background is actually in chemical engineering. Um, and I actually started with Unilever in research and development. Um, so I worked as an engineer for probably about five years. Um, and I loved the technical aspects of the work, but I definitely was missing, uh, the business side. So I went back, um, got an MBA and, um, you know, with work that I had done in factories, I sort of had a natural attrition to operations and just seeing things how, you know, how products flowed, how we got materials to the line um, that, that really interested me. And um, I landed in supply chain. So for the past 20 years, um, I have been uh, mostly working in planning. Um, I've done a lot of special projects. I've done a lot of, um, you know, integrations. Um, and in the last three to four years is when I really started to engage on the customer facing side. Um, so our scope in the customer supply chain is really with, uh, working with our retailers to ensure that we have an end to end supply chain that ensures we are providing the top service at the best cost with the right products. And as you can imagine, with so many changes right now, whether it be from COVID or the big boom in e-com, um, it's been a really, really exciting place to play. Catherine, what an incredible journey. I mean, from a chemical engineer to now you're leading the customer supply chain side of, of Unilever for so many retailers. Um, you know, you actually bring up an interesting point that I think about is that you know, we don't really know our engineers primarily to think about them in terms of a relational capability. Generally, they're working on the hard stuff, right? Uh, what was that transition like for you to kind of move into a man more managerial role instead of that real functional operational engineering aspect? Yeah, it, you know, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, as I talk to my kids about their career aspirations and we talk about, you know, different things that you can do in life, one of the things they always ask me about is engineering. And engineers by nature are problem solvers. Um, and sometimes you are a highly technical problem solver. You know, you might be working on a pipeline, you might be working on a computer program. Um, but this is all engineering mindset. And it's no different applying that to supply chain. I happen to be in a position where people and relationships and business decisions also play a very big part 
around how we solve those problems. But at its core, um, you know, supply chain professionals are are just problem solvers. And, and I think it's really what, you know, jazzes most of us about this career path um, and the work that we do. Man, you're just jumping way ahead to the end when I ask you to recruit our students to this industry. If you like solving problems, if you like doing something different every day, this is probably the career and industry for you, right? Has that yes. been your experience? <laughs> that is exactly it. That is exactly it. So I want to talk a little bit about you've been at Unilever for what, 24 years now, maybe a little bit more. Uh, it's taking you on a journey. You know, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you've had so many different roles in the company. I, I love to talk to people who've been at one company for so long. Um, I mean, Unilever is known as a Gartner top five master's category supply chain. It's an enormous global company, right? So you've got a lot of uh, operations that you're managing, a lot of customers that you're managing. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned throughout your career as you've gone from role to role? And how has it helped you become the leader that you are today? Yeah, so, you know, a few things really, um, you know, I would point to along my career journey that I have, I found to be extremely valuable. Um, I think for anyone, as you map out your career, there's always a question of breadth versus depth. Um, and we have points in our career where, you know, we make a very pointed decision to go deeper and, you know, to gain real expertise in an area. And I chose to do that um, in the planning space at Unilever. So that is something that with every role, you know, that I've taken after planning, whether it be demand planning, supply planning, material planning, um, you know, that's really something that I take with me in all of the decisions and all the things that I do. And it's so core, um, you know, just to how we manage our business. Um, the other bit, you know, about my career journey is that, um, you know, while it might be a bit different, um, you know, than what you hear from other folks who maybe have, you know, gone to multiple companies or maybe have, you know, been in one specific discipline for their entire career, um, the value that I have taken away from having strong mentors um, has just really been such a game changer. Um, so many of my career decisions, so many of the opportunities that I was given, so many of the, um, you know, areas that maybe I wouldn't have known more about came to light because of those mentoring relationships. So it's something that I certainly try to give back, um, you know, both within my company and outside my company, um, as far as mentorship. And I strongly encourage people, you know, that are just starting off their career, even still in college, um, you know, to really focus on, you know, finding those mentors, building that network, you know, to really ensure that you're you're getting, you know, a site, a line of sight to every opportunity that's out there. I would imagine that this has really been um, probably transformational for you in becoming a uh, cross-functional leader. Uh, I noticed that's something that a lot of your peers um, people who've worked with you uh, really commended you on is your ability to work, work cross-functionally. And I told my students, that's not something that's actually easy for organizations to do is, is have cross-functional collaboration and information sharing and to be able to execute that well and support one another. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it means to lead cross-functionally and be successful actually doing that? Sure. Um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, this idea of how you lead cross-functional teams, they're the same principles that apply to 
you know, how you lead outside of your company as well and how you manage relationships either with suppliers or vendors or customers, um, you know, or even further down the chain. Um, I have found that the biggest principle that, you know, I try to live by is going into a relationship, a project, a team, understand what each person's role is and understand what each person is trying to get out of the project team or relationship. Um, I think sometimes it's very easy. And I have a number of examples from early on in my career where you head into an initiative, you have this ambition, you know, to complete your goal, to get to a desired outcome. And, you know, nothing is going to stand in your way and you're going to deliver this. And while that may work to an extent, if you sort of step over and around all of these other people and ignore what they need to get out of it, you sort of miss getting that real synergy. Um, and that may be synergies in you know how you work, how long it takes to get it done, and even the quality of the results. So I think there's really something fundamental about understanding each player in the group um, and really what they need from this group and what is the role that they expect to play. And I think that has, um, you know, I've seen that serve many people well over the years. I'm going to actually kind of, you know, bring up something. I was actually teaching my introductory class this morning in supply chain, and we were covering the concept of supply chain orientation um, and that idea that an awareness of the systemic implications, right, of if I make a decision over here, how's it going to impact either people, you know, people in other functions of my organization or supply chain partners across my supply chain? And it really sounds to me like that's what you're describing, um, is that if I'm oriented to thinking this way, then I can manage that way uh, and really find a way to incentivize everyone toward the same goals that's beneficial for everyone. Uh, is it, can you elaborate on that? Is that what you're getting at there? Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to um, summarize that. And and again, it's it's something that holds true regardless of the type of relationship or the type of team. Um, you know, it's so important as, you know, we try to find solutions that look across the entire end to end supply chain between Unilever and our customers. You know, there's a lot to unpack in there. And if you don't understand that big picture and the implications at every step in the chain, um, you really run the risk of some major blind spots and some big hurdles that could be very difficult to overcome. So I would think that 2020 was actually a perfect storm of a case study for actually being able to execute all of this pretty quickly, right? And so, so uh, certainly supply chain professionals had their work cut out for them. If I'm thinking about Walmart and the other large retailers that you guys work with, um, it's been a lot of pressure to get inventory on the shelves. And what has this meant for Unilever and how you guys have managed through the pandemic? And also, what have you learned through this process? Yeah, um, you know, to say it's been an interesting 2020 would be a vast understatement. And I think for many of us, um, you know, seeing supply chain thrust into the spotlight, um, you know, sort of as the leaders for growth and the leaders for delivery in our companies was a pretty big change. Um, but I think it's one that we took on very proudly. 
Um, you know, for us at Unilever, um, you know, we, we definitely saw the pandemic unfold in phases. And in the early days of the pandemic, we saw a significant change in demand. We saw big pantry loading and panic buying. Um, and in that moment, it required us to think differently about how we would service customers. And we needed to work with customers to reduce complexity, um, you know, to maybe only offer a select set of SKUs because not only were we constrained with what we could produce and get out the door in that period of time, but our customers also had their own constraints around what they could receive and how much they could stock. Um, and we know that there was also a pivot in terms of the channels that people were shopping in. Um, so, you know, that kind of turned things on its head as well. So, there was a lot of, um, you know, I would say agility that was required to sort of make those changes. Um, and after we got past that initial um, panic buy, if you will, you know, then there became this phase of, you know, sustained higher demand. So things had leveled off a bit, but, you know, we were still seeing a tremendous need, um, you know, for in-home consumer goods. Um, that were just selling at rates we had never seen before, but the volatility had dampened. So at that point, it was about ensuring that, you know, we had the capacity expansion in place. We had the people plans in place to support, um, and really adjusting to that new normal. And then, you know, you sort of follow it all the way through to where we are now in 2021. Again, you know, we're very fortunate at Unilever to have a huge portfolio of products that people need um, in their day-to-day -day lives. So, you know, we're very happy to see that our growth has been um, very well sustained. Um, but again, it requires us to be able to, you know, react to that demand. And with the community spread of the virus, um, you know, impacting almost every part of the country, we are seeing factories, drivers, carriers, you know, retailer DCs, retailer stores, suppliers, all being impacted by people either having to quarantine, having to call off, um, you know, God forbid, actually testing positive and needing to go off work. So it changes, you know, how you think about bandwidth and capacity mm -hmm. and employee labor models. So it has really fundamentally changed so many aspects of how we look at the supply chain and how we plan um, for spikes and available capacity. But, you know, I would say that um, I think any supply chain professional that you talk to would say it's really been a tremendous opportunity, um, you know, for supply chain to continue to bring these creative solutions. And it all goes back to that engineering mindset of we are problem solvers. Um, these are problems that we've never seen before, but they're great problems to have. And we're happy to be at the center of it. And we really need to think about how we build out that agility and resiliency. You know, I really, I really love what you were talking about there and just the, the challenge that supply chain professionals, uh, felt through all this. And I've talked to a number of our supply chain partners in the center, uh, talked to you, you and, and, and so many other companies and, and particularly with the supply chain profession, there's always been this sense of, you know, we execute, we, we help deliver to the consumer. And so our jobs matter, even though many times it's outside of the public eye, it's behind the scenes. 
Um, well, certainly supply chain management came to the forefront of the public side, uh, probably not in a good way when we looked at the PPE equipment and, and some of the uh, uh, inventory availability that we had at the end of the supply chains when, when the pandemic started. But I talked to a lot of supply chain professionals who all of a sudden sensed a greater sense of purpose uh, because of, of their mission to actually get essential goods. And you just mentioned this with Unilever, so many of your products are considered essential goods for consumers. And so you were in a unique position to, to watch this transpire. What do you, what did you observe about the supply chain professional and their ability to step up, meet the challenge head on? And what does it mean for you as you think about leading your supply chains over the past year and looking forward into the next six months to another year as we continue to work through all this? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question, Donnie, because I think, um, you know, within this, um, there's, I think, an awful lot of internal reflection um, that we've all done around this past year. And if I think back, um, you know, to the earlier days of the pandemic, something that we all, you know, did not take very lightly at all is this sense that we are essential. Our factory workers are essential. The people that are working in retail are essential. And for us to not be able to fulfill an order to short a truck had so much more meaning um, than perhaps it did in the past. And again, you know, early on, there was this feeling of, you know, even though our factories, um, you know, had some of the best safety protocols in place. And I, I think a lot of folks in our factories actually felt safer being in our factory than they did outside in the community. There was still this sense of, you know, people are putting their lives on the line. And therefore, we need to hold up our end and we need to make sure that we are flawlessly executing every order and allowing everything to come together because you don't want people out there doing this for nothing. Um, on the flip side, in the corporate environment, there was an awful lot you know, going on for everyone personally. So we have many employees who were directly affected themselves, who were affected within their families, um, you know, who had to upend their lives with, you know, homeschooling their children and still trying to manage their jobs. And so it was a very big burden, even if you weren't on the front lines, um, you know, for folks who were doing this job inside. So as a leader, um, I think that we all very much felt the pressure to make sure that we were giving people the right tools, that we were supporting everyone, that we were ensuring that people had the space and the bandwidth you know, just to be able to man to manage the totality of, you know, this this situation that was just so new and, and dramatic and uncertain and scary, you know, for so many people. So my reflection of this last year, um, you know, it's it's the, the further that we get away from the onset of the pandemic, the more I look back and say, wow, I, I can't believe that we really did what we did, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people would would say the same thing. It really is pretty amazing. I mean, I tell my students all the time, the, the way that the supply chain profession, the supply chain industry and uh, professional really were able, and I hate to use this word because it became kind of a catchphrase, but pivot, right? And so to operating in a different environment in a different way was really incredible to watch. Um, but, you know, some of the things that came out of this that I thought uh, were really interesting. And some of this was 
you know, pre-COVID. Like we were already seeing growth of e-commerce and omnichannel distribution and things like that. Um, and I think what we saw in the, the what the lessons that we learned was a lot of the acceleration of things that were going to happen in the next three to five years really moved up to this past year as far as digital uh, really is concerned. But, you know, for you guys, you know, as e-commerce continues to grow, as we had this acceleration through COVID, what are you learning and what are you seeing in the future of supply chain over the next six to 24 months as it relates to you know, consumers ordering direct and the pressure that it's created on supply chains. What are, what are you guys experiencing there? Yeah, so, you know, a couple things. I think that, um, you know, as we think about the future of supply chain, you know, the, the first place we all go to is e-commerce and Omni. Um, you know, within Unilever and within any of the, you know, major companies, um, you know, we've all been doing a lot of work on this space. We've been partnering with customers on this space. Um, you know, we're looking to, you know, kind of institutionalize, you know, how we manage, you know, efficient bundles and e-com ready packaging. And we're investing in our factories to, you know, be able to, you know, be more agile and, and produce more e-com packs. And we're looking at alternate business models. There, there's just so much there that to your point was already in flight. Um, but there's this deep sense now that, you know, we've, we've, that has accelerated for us. We didn't even do it, but that has accelerated in the market. And so when I think about the supply chain, you know, six months from now, six months plus, um, I think we are going to see that acceleration continue. Um, but I think even bigger than that will be this theme around agility and resiliency because you know, let's be honest, we are still in a phase with this pandemic that we still don't understand what's coming, right? We're hopeful and we're optimistic that the vaccine is going to change things and we'll come back to same level, some level of normalcy, normalcy, but we don't know what that looks like. Um, so we need to be prepared to handle that uncertainty. A lot of that will be underpinned by, you know, acceleration in the e-com agenda, acceleration in, you know, digital, you know, models and a digital supply chain. Um, but there is so much fundamentally that we are preparing for in terms of manufacturing flexibility, portfolio flexibility, um, you know, how we leverage third parties, how we segment um, portfolios, customers, our networks, um, so it's, it's just an incredibly exciting time. Um, you know, we, we have a lot to do. And I think the acceleration that we're seeing, I, I think it's one of the really good things that's coming out of the pandemic, because it's forcing us um, as an industry, right, to address these things much faster. And I think it will benefit our customers and our consumers greatly, you know, once we start to get more traction here. You know, when when you're going when you were just talking about that, I was just I was just reminded, man, there's so many players uh, that and, and partners that have to execute together. Um, and now, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is almost a complete transformation of the supply chain on, you know, on double time. Right. Um, and the, what are you? How do you do that? I mean, so, it, it, you know, you've got all these legacy systems, you've got the ways you've operated for so many years. And yeah, we were kind of thinking about e-commerce or we thinking about on our channel. Now you're talking about transformational change, like much more rapid than what we really considered before 2020. 
how do you execute that? What have you learned about executing that quickly with agility, with resiliency? Uh, what are the big key takeaways that you guys are learning? So I think first and foremost, um, it's it's about the shared vision. Um, and, and I think this is so important and not to be underplayed in any transformation um, that, you know, we try to take on is that people have to know what the end game looks like. And again, some of that, it's not going to be perfect. Um, we're, we're not going to know exactly you know, what that roadmap is, but, but just having the eye on the prize and, and everyone aligned and motivated, you know, to that end state. And once you have that, you could start to put together the pieces that will probably change, right? And you'll set some priorities and you'll put some things on the roadmap. And, you know, because of business needs or customer needs, you know, things may change in order of succession. Um, but you never deviate from that end state. Um, that is generally the way that we look at transformation. And I think it makes it so much more um, motivating. Um, and it makes it feel that it's not so overwhelming, you know, to take on. Um, one of my, and I hope I don't insult anyone by this, but one of my all-time favorite basketball teams um, was the North Carolina State Wolfpack. I have no association with them, did not go to school there. Um, but when Jim Valvano, very famous coach, when he coached there, right, the first thing that he did with that team is at their practice, they would take a pair of scissors and practice cutting down the net. To, to get a feel, right, for how would it feel to win that championship? They had this shared vision, this shared goal. Um, and I think in transformation, it's it's that same feeling that you need to get from your employees and your partners. Um, so that's that's really what we do. And again, it is what makes supply chain so exciting because there are now so many pieces on that journey and on that roadmap that we're working towards. But we all know that this end state is is going to be something game-changing and amazing when we get through it. One of the things that you bring up there, and, and I'm, I'm reminded of questions that I get from my students at times. And so we think about Unilever and we think about some other suppliers for our large retailers. Um, and you're talking about alignment here. And it's always a curious question about, well, who sets the goals? Um, you know, at the customers, you're trying to help fulfill your customers' goals uh, we, we teach that to customer. Uh, we want to make sure we're serving them well. But you guys are a massive, massive company. And, and so you also have your own internal goals. How, how do you guys think about aligning your internal goals with so many large customers when you're dealing with what such large uh, conglomerates and organizations that way? I think that um, there's definitely uh, there are decisions that have to get taken by any major company, right? Around, you know, what are the non-negotiables? Um, for us, you know, our um, Unilever Sustainable Living Plan is a non-negotiable for us. We are a purpose-driven company and that that actually dictates how we set our goals and what we do. Um, the Sustainable Living Plan is, is about decoupling growth from our environmental footprint um, while we actually improve the social impact, right? So, so it's a very heady, you know, aspirational thing that guides everything we do. Um, in addition to that, 
Um, you know, we have experts within the company who, you know, are understanding the trends and where the market is heading and where the industry is heading. Um, and that's going to be another really important, um, you know, piece of input, you know, into this to say, where do, where do we see things going? Where's the consumer need going, right? Underpinned by our values and purpose. And then there's this bit around, you know, partnership with our customers and understanding their position on both of those things. And we find that, you know, many retailers, they, they have a shared purpose with us and that's wonderful. Um, we also find that we learn a lot from each other in terms of identifying those longer term trends and where we think the consumer is headed. So once you take all of those pieces and start to put them together, um, and then you layer on top of that, you know, a very, um, you know, almost academic segmentation, right? So that you understand what is the priority? What are you going after first? Where do I get the biggest bang for my, for our buck? You can start to put all that together and really shape your program. So that's, that's the general approach that, that we take. Such a, such a wonderful perspective on that. And, um, and, and unless you've been in the leadership, at a corporation like that, it's really hard to understand how all those pieces fit together. Um, I want to pivot. You mentioned uh, here, you brought up the uh, uh, Unilever, Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. And so now I want to frame this question a little bit because you guys, I mean, you provide products that are brought into our homes every day. And I think the number that I saw was 2.5 billion people around the globe use your products every day. Just a huge number to think about, right? You're consistently ranked on the S&P Dow Jones Sustainability Index, and you're ranked number one for sustainability leadership for the 10th year in a row, according to a GlobeScan survey. And what's important about this survey is that it's experts from business, governments, NGOs, and academia. And so this sustainable living plan, what is this plan? Why is it so important for you guys? Why is it the thing that underpins every decision you make? And and more importantly for our audience, how does the supply chain support this life cycle approach to sustainability for you guys? Um, so thanks, Donnie. I'm so glad that you're asking about this because you know this is this is really the heart and soul of what drives our company. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons if you were to ask any Unilever employee why they work here, why they came here in the first place, and why they stay here. Um, so the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan is, you know, really about changing the way we do business. Um, it drives all of our decisions. It drives our strategy. Um, and as I mentioned, it's, it's really about demonstrating this idea that you can be successful in business at the same time as you can actually do good by the environment and by humanity. Um, so there are many, you know, elements, um, to the plan. We kind of break them down, um, you know, into very, um, uh, you know, specific buckets. So, you know, we look at, you know, how we think about waste and packaging, right? Um, we look about, um, you know, how we are creating an inclusive and in fair environment when we talk about, you know, opportunities for women or underrepresented, you know, populations. Um, you know, we work with our suppliers around sustainable sourcing, um, you know, and, and we're very proud, you know, to lead the industry in that, in that place. 
Um, you know, another bucket is, you know, fairness in the workplace and, you know, fair wages and human rights within, you know, our operations. Um, we look at the use of water. We look at the use of greenhouse gases, improving nutrition. There's so many elements to it. Um, health and hygiene, right, which has come to the forefront more than ever this year. Um, but, you know, how we manage that and how our products contribute to that. Um, you know, is, is such a huge space. And then, you know, of course, climate change, climate change in general. Um, you know, we're, we're very public, you know, about our, our stance and the changes that we want to do. And as I mentioned before, you know, many of our retailers share, um, you know, our values and our purpose in this area. And, you know, we really believe that as corporate citizens of the world, we have an obligation um, to do better. Um, and to really lead the way um, so that, you know, we can we can leave this planet better, you know, than than when we all got here. So it's it's as you can tell, um, it's it's really exciting. It's something that that really gets us all excited to uh, to be a part of. And there's probably no better place than in the supply chain, um, you know, to really make that happen. So can you give us some examples of maybe some things that you're actually there's some of the challenging things about this plan, sustainable living plan that you guys are trying to solve right now so that, you know, our students can learn from it, our audience can learn about what it is that you're doing from a supply chain perspective. to Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you just because it's very top of mind. I uh, my meeting immediately previously to this. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of work um, around, you know, how we reduce um, transportation, transportation in general, right? Which is a win-win because when you look at the market right now in the U.S., um, you know, around availability of carriers and everything that's happening with the pandemic, um, you know, the the less reliant, you know, than we could that we could be on trucks, the better. And of course, um, you know, from a sustainability perspective, um, you know, as we look at you know reductions in in greenhouse gases as part of transport, it's a it's a big initiative. Um, so something very specific, you know, that we're working on is, you know, shipping product um, directly from our factories, let's or even directly to stores, right? So skipping the DCs altogether, do we need to do that? And again, it's very nuanced, because you can't just start shipping full truckloads to every single store to every single retailer. Um, you know, you have to focus on top SKUs, you have to work through plans with customers to figure out you know, how you can coordinate that and make it all come together. But, you know, we started on this program last year. Um, we were doing very, very little, you know, direct shipment. And, you know, since the start of the pandemic, I think we're up to, um, you know, hundreds of trucks um, that we now have taken off the road because we're eliminating another leg, another stop, if you will, um, along the supply chain. And obviously, that's a very, it's a very small example um, but again, when we embark on these projects, it's about not just doing right, what's right for the business, because by the way, it's great for the business because um, you're less likely to have late loads and late carriers because you have fewer touches. Um, you're actually increasing your, um, you know, your cost savings because, you know, you're requiring fewer trucks and fewer drivers and customers are getting what they need sooner um, and probably more in full, just based on the way everything is set up. So it's it's this example of the win-win, right? You're doing something good for your business, um, but we're really motivated by the fact that we're doing something good for our environment. 
Yeah, I don't think people realize how much supply chain really does, you know, if we can find those small gains uh, in efficiencies, the systemic effects that has on multiple things, whether it's sustainability or, or cost savings or serving customers even better, right? And so, so I think that's, that's really important to think about, you know, systemically that if we can find that initiative and, and solve that problem, it's not going to be just that one problem we're solving. We're probably going to be hitting a lot of other problems as well. Um, and I think uh, that's a great example of that. Um, I wanted to ask you in general about trade-offs. Um, it, you know, this is really kind of related to the last two questions combined. If we're thinking about e-commerce, think about direct shipments to consumers, that in many ways that's, uh, you know, uh, less environmentally friendly, right? Because now I've got, I'm shipping one item uh, and I'm using parcel service to do that uh, versus a sustainability initiative. What are you seeing? So some, sometimes those uh, incentives are in direct conflict with one another. How do you guys approach that and say, okay, what are we going to do to both serve our customer and also stay true to what our sustainable living plan is? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in that space, especially, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, launching new initiatives or new approaches to doing things, there's very often a trade-off that has to happen at the onset. Um, and, you know, obviously when it comes to trade-offs, there's, there's always the non-negotiables, right? Um, and those, those guide us, you know, day to day and they're going to be different. They're going to be different depending on, you know, where we are, what we're doing. But I think ultimately, um, you know, we, we try to abide by the principle of, you know, a minimum viable product. So, you know, if we, uh, a great example of that at the, um, height of the pandemic, um, you probably recall this. It was, it was tough to find sanitizer, right? And we launched a sanitizer brand. Um, in the period of, you know, call it four to six weeks, it was, it was unbelievably fast. Um, there were trade-offs that had to be made there. Um, you know, and, and most of them probably came in the form of cost because for a company like Unilever, we will never make the trade-off on quality or safety, right? Um, we couldn't make the trade-off around speed to market because it was, uh, it was a consumer must have. Um, and again, at the height of the pandemic, there was nothing more important than having sanitizer. Um, and so, you know, your, your trade-offs start to become very obvious. But as you evolve, right, from that minimum viable product, um, then you kind of go back and you say, okay, how, how can I fix some of those components that were not ideal to start? So maybe what is a trade-off initially um, you know, become something that as you go, you get that fixed. And, you know, it's this tricky balance of, you know, we need to experiment, we need to do new things, we need to move with the market, we need to ensure that we're satisfying our customers and our consumers, right, for, you know, when they need what they need. Um, so there's a realization that it's it's never going to be perfect to start. But as long as it doesn't contradict what are our non-negotiables? Um, we go and then we address the other things as we move along on the journey, you know, of that project or product. This reminds me of actually uh, the very beginning of our conversation today. You were talking about, you know, your role in innovation and, and R&D and, and just possibly continuous improvement. 
And really that has become part of the culture of Unilever uh, and, um, and probably has been for, you know, however many years you guys have been in existence. Can you talk about a little bit what it means to have that continuous improvement, that continuous drive to innovate culture and how you continue to foster that? Yeah, there, there's definitely at Unilever a very strong culture of, you know, experimentation, innovation. Um, and, you know, I, I think the real game changer for me um, working here and what I hear different from my peers is that, you know, there's, there's a real incentive um, to continue to learn. And to continue to change. Um, and, you know, when I first joined Unilever 26 years ago, um, you know, all of the big players in CPG were about mass production, big, huge factories that produce a small assortment of SKUs. But what you make, you make really well and you're really fish efficient at delivering, right? Mm-hmm. You compare that, you know, it's a, it couldn't be more different um, than where we are now. And so if we're not willing, you know, to have that culture that fosters innovation and experimentation, um, we'll never survive. So, you know, so our culture um, is one that very much supports that. And I think this idea of, you know, always learning, right? Everyone in our company is always looking for articles and experts and third parties to collaborate with and, you know, peer sets to collaborate with. Um, it's one of the reasons that we enjoy, you know, the, um, you know, work we do, you know, Donnie, with the university, you know, in Arkansas, you know, pr- partnering with you guys, um, just being close to, um, you know, what's out there and what are the trends. So I think it's just fostering that culture that is probably the biggest, um, the biggest game changer here. Well, thank you for the shout out there. I, I, you know, it's such an incredible opportunity consistently to be part of the culture here in Northwest Arkansas and the engagement that we have from our industry partners like you uh, and your team here that's on the ground and, and, and Rogers. Um, and so I actually kind of want to pivot that now. It's a really good setup to talking to our students. Um, you guys, uh, uh, you know, that just continual learning that you talk about, I talk to our students that you, you you have to have that mindset when you enter into the supply chain industry because it's continually, it's a dynamic industry. It's continually changing. The challenges are new every day and we're continuing to evolve. So, you know, I'd love for you just to kind of share a little bit. And I actually have a two-pronged question here and I don't do this with everyone, but I know the, the values at Unilever are so... Uh, uh, so clear with sustainability, with inclusion and diversity, and just and thinking about the opportunities that you create for students. Um, can you just talk about supply chain management as an industry in general? What makes it attractive to students and, and what type of student are you looking for? What, what type of professional are you looking for to, to enter into this industry from Unilever's perspective? Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it kind of goes all the way back you know, to the beginning of our conversation is that, you know, we are looking for people who can solve problems, right? Um, People often mistake, people who don't work in supply chain, mistakenly think that it is the type of career that is highly transactional, that you come in and you push buttons every day. And you know what I mean? You kind of manage stuff in the background. Hmm. Um, And that could not be further from what we do um, with the advancements in technology and, and just how we have 
um, you know, leverage technology, a lot of the transactional elements of what happens in the supply chain are, are really no longer, um, you know, where the value comes. Again, when I started in supply chain, there was still a lot of that. But right. now it's, and this is most industries, right? Now it's about the, the points of human intervention um, mm. and adding value there. And the way that you add value is you can come in, you can, you know, sort of construct a problem statement. You can understand, you know, how certain solutions will impact the bigger picture. Um, you know, you can put together a cohesive plan. You can bring people on board. You can influence outcomes. Um, there are just so many elements to um, solving and in, in, sorry, solving and um, implementing. You know, these types of solutions. So the the students that have been very successful that have come to us are lifelong learners and they want to solve problems like that is really what it what it boils down to and they can do so in a way that they bring people along um you know and really get us to that next level well catherine that just great advice for our students and i just love the insights that you give and and for my students that are listening out there uh unilever is a great company and so if you're looking for a great company to work with or begin your career with i highly recommend uh checking out unilever and uh let me know i'll connect you directly with Catherine, and you can fill her inbox up so thank you Catherine, for this epic discussion and a special thanks to our audience for taking the time to listen on behalf of the Walton SEMRC, we are delighted to lead with you as we learn, engage, address, and develop all things supply chain to lead the world of commerce from Northwest Arkansas. Have a great day.